Hello, dear listeners. This is Jeff's voice avatar talking to you. Today, we'll have a closer look at bike to anything communication, B2X. Melina tested it in the previous episode. Coming up, Bosch engineer Andreas Wiens will explain in detail how the technology works. He will tell us more about how he and his colleagues studied the behavior of cyclists during the development. The basic idea behind B2X is pretty smart. Bikes and other traffic participants constantly exchange messages with each other. These messages have a size of some hundred bytes and they are exchanged like between one and ten times per second. It's about cars and bikes constantly messaging each other to alert everyone of their presence. If you look at the content, so the basis would be some parameters like position, heading, speed, and the type of traffic participants. This information is then used to calculate whether a vehicle is on a collision course with anyone else. But determining parameters for bikes like position and heading can be tricky. Compared to a car, there are basically three challenges to predict the future path of a bicycle. The first is that we do not have a steering angle. And even if we had that, that would not be the single source of truth for the curvature, since the center of gravity and the roll angle also play a role for the curvature of the path of a two-wheeler. In case you don't know, the roll angle describes how much the bike is leaning to the left or the right. Can't go around a corner without leaning. So therefore, we also take the roll angle into account, which is measured by inertial sensors to determine the future path for the next seconds. But that leads to another challenge. Not every leaning motion means the cyclist is going around a corner. Every cyclist performs a kind of swerving movement just to keep the bike in a straight position. And this might be misinterpreted as a steering. And therefore, on one hand side, we need some adequate filtering to not react too fastly on that swerving, but also not too slowly in order to still detect curves. And on the other hand side, it's also helpful to make a comparison to map data if available. So if there is no option to turn, then you can also assume that you are going straight and vice versa. So if there are options, you can combine the information of the map with the inertial sensors and the curvature you're measuring in order to determine the most probable path. With that, the system is able to figure out where the bike is headed, but it still might not know where exactly the bike is. Because a position from a satellite navigation system might not be exact enough. The third challenge is the bike's path is not restricted to road lanes. So every car is just on a road lane and it's on this lane or on this lane and that's it. But the bike might also be on a cycle lane next to the road. And children can even be on a sidewalk. And for some use cases, it's even important to know if a bike is on the left or the right hand side of a road lane because you would like to know if it's turning left or right or if it's uh, passing the car on the left or on the right-hand side. And this is hard to solve with GNSS alone. GNSS, that's short for Global Navigation Satellite System. Despite these challenges, where a bike will go within the next few seconds can be predicted quite well. Well enough to warn drivers about a potential collision with a bike. And well enough to alert cyclists of a car crossing their path. But... What's the best way to do that? 
Andreas Wiens and his colleagues had to study how responsive cyclists are to different types of alerts. And these were like haptical alerts, visual alerts, and acoustical alerts. And these alerts were given in different environments that were challenging from different perspectives. So, for instance, in some environments that were challenging from the acoustical point of view, for instance, that was next to a highway, or from a visual point of view, that was in uh, downtown from a village, or in a haptical point of view, that were some kind of gravel roads. For the haptic alerts, they put small motors in the handlebars of the bike. It feels like an uh, electric toothbrush, but quite strong. So in standard situation, you would feel it pretty good. Yeah, but just when riding on some gravel road or cobblestones, then the perception is not very good. But the vibrations were perceived much more reliably than the visual alerts. They were often not noticed by the study participants at all. Even though it was a red-white blinking of the whole smartphone screen for four seconds, and that should have been seen, but it was not perceived in many cases, not only in the visually challenging environments. The reason a display mounted on the handlebar is not in a cyclist's line of sight. They keep their eyes on the road in front of them. The handlebar is much less within their field of view compared to the dashboard of a car. That leaves warning sounds as an option to alert cyclists. The acoustical warning basically worked in every situation, even close to the highway where it was challenging from the acoustical point of view. So our conclusion was that Acoustical warnings would be the best way and, uh, let's say, the, the first choice of giving warnings to, to cyclists. As you heard in the previous episode, that was how Molina was alerted of an approaching car during her demo session. A short, but very noticeable sound. Of course, Molina never was in any real danger of a collision. We couldn't afford to lose her. But in an actually dangerous situation, would the alerts make a difference? Colleagues of Andreas did another study to find out. So the Probans were riding on the cycle track and not expecting another cycle bicycle coming from the right-hand side behind a building. And in one situation, they have been warned. In the other situation, they have not been warned. And we checked whether there was some difference in the erection time. And yeah, we indeed could measure that giving a warning could reduce the reaction time by just one-third, approximately, from 1.65 seconds to about 1.05 seconds. So that is quite a lot when you talk about critical situations to gain half a second. We could really show that giving an alert has some benefit on the safety. What would Molina, Jeff, or Shuko say? I guess it would be, wow, or wow, wow. One last aspect to consider is the reliability of the wireless communication between traffic participants. In different parts of the world, different technologies are being favored. In Europe, B2X and V2X are currently based on Wi-Fi technology. And a certain standard of the Wi-Fi, the 802.11p. While in North America and China, a version of the technology used for mobile data is more likely to be implemented. This is called Sidelink or PC5. While there are some differences between the technologies, they will operate in similar ways. The messages that bikes and cars send about their location and direction will be directly broadcast to other vehicles in the vicinity. 
There's no central router needed. This is just communication directly between the participants. You do not need a hub or something in the surroundings. It works everywhere. So even on a rural road, you do not need any kind of infrastructure. It just, it just works. It just works. We'll leave it at that. All that needs to happen for it to really work is car and bicycle manufacturers implementing the technology. That's it for this deep dive. I hope you learned something. Here's what's coming up on From Know-How to Wow. Melina and Jeff take a look at climate-friendly heating technology. Thanks to a little tweak, heat pumps are about to get even greener.